Let's turn in God's Word together this morning to Genesis chapter 33. Genesis chapter 33. As we continue our series through the book of Genesis, those of you who are visiting with us, we're working our way through the book of Genesis, and we've been looking at the life of Jacob. Jacob has uh, shown some some signs of change, but also there is still much change that needs to take place. As we saw last week, Jacob got a blessing from God. He wrestled with God there in chapter 32, and he got a new name. The new name was instructive. It, was, it spoke of his prevailing with God to get a blessing. Now he struggled with God and prevailed, and in his struggle with the Lord, Jacob was heard. God assured him that his promise, the promise that he had given to Jacob, would stand. And as he had gone through this exhausting and even weakening, or we could say a a situation that reminded him of his weakness, where he's left with a limp, immediately following this, he faces a trial. We're going to look at that test this morning and think about how that parallels our own lives as we are covenanting with God, but then very often we're reminded that when we make that, uh, take that oath, God says, will you truly trust me? Look with me then at God's word, Genesis 33, starting in verse 1. This is the word of God. Give your full attention to the reading of it. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and four hundred men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel, and Joseph, last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children, he said, Who are these with you? And Jacob said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the servants drew near, they and their children, and bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near, and they bowed down. Esau said, What do you mean by all this company that I met? Jacob answered, To find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Jacob said, No, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I've seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. Thus, he urged him and he took it. Then Esau said, let us journey on our way and I will go ahead of you. But Jacob said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail and that the nursing flocks and herds are a care to me. If they are driven hard for one day, all the flocks will die. Let my Lord pass on ahead of his servant, and I will lead on slowly at the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Seir. So Esau said, Let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, What need is there? 
Let me find favor in the sight of my Lord. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. But Jacob journeyed to Succoth and built himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the name of the place is called Succoth, meaning booths. And Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, on his way from Padanaram, and he, in, he camped before the city. And from the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, he bought for a hundred pieces of money the piece of land on which he had pitched his tent. There he erected an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. So far the reading of God's own holy word. Dear people of God, change doesn't happen overnight. It's not easy to change habits, to change thought process. Here Jacob is given a new name. He's had a new name and now he is supposed to be reflecting on that name and to be living into that name. We give our children names and we very often give them names that reflect what we want them to think about. What is it that we should be like? What does it mean? Who are you? Well, here, Jacob is given the name Israel, are we in the previous chapter, and now he's facing a challenge. His faith is going to be tested. He's given a new name. He was to have a new perspective, and here he has a new situation before him, a test. God had prevailed with Jacob, showing him his weakness, but he also affirmed to Jacob his promise. He said, I will surely... Do what I say I will do for you. Well, was Jacob a new man? Was he new now? Well, that's what we want to look at this morning. And I think at best we can say Jacob was a work in progress. Jacob, still Jacob, as we'll see later. After his restless night, Jacob looks up and the scene before him reminds him that he is still on earth, still facing tests and trials. He looks up and he sees Esau coming with 400 men. This prayer, this prevailing with God, had not removed these tests that were going to come to him. He's reminded of that the very morning, the morning after he has been wrestling with the Lord. Jacob understood or Jacob heard that he had received blessing from the Lord, but he still fought with a desire to make his own plans. That scene right there in the outset of the, the 33rd chapter when he's, when he's looking up and he sees Esau, and what does he do? He separates his family out and he says, well, just in case this doesn't work out, just in case, we might say, we might put in a parenthesis here, just in case God's promise isn't sure that I will be delivered and be brought back to the land, then, then at least some will, will be delivered. You see, it's something of a, of a, of a buffer, a, a safety net for Jacob. He wasn't sure he could trust God. After all, Esau was still coming. But something had changed. That, that's the tr- struggle I had with this sermon today. Is where when, when, Whenever the scriptures are looking into the heart of someone and trying to, to describe what they're going through, a lot of the times it's, it's back and forth, isn't it? It's true in our lives too. We, we, we do 
the, the right thing, and then we kind of back up, and, and, and we, we, we try to do what, what we know to be best, and then, and then we, kind of, we kind of change our minds, or, or we've, we hear something, we say, yeah, that's, that, that's what I want to do, but, but oh, this is attractive over here. Jacob is doing that. Esau, we know less of his inner workings, but let's just look at that a little bit this morning. Jacob has changed in that he has courage to face his brother. Verse 3, he separates his family out, but then he goes on ahead of the family and meets with Esau. That's something. That's something positive. There's, a, there's an element of, of trust there when, when he says, I'm going to face Esau. He takes a posture of humility before Esau. That's different too. He, he humbles himself before Esau. If you remember anything about Jacob, and his struggle with his brother it was not what we would call a position of or a posture of humility. Well, now the question is, has Esau changed? And that's what Jacob's wondering about. Has, has Esau changed at all or is he still, does he still want to kill me? It's very interesting how Esau responds when he sees Jacob. Verse 4 Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. It's very interesting when you think there of the change that happened even in Esau. Someone we don't recognize as receiving the blessing of the Lord, and yet there's change. The Lord has worked change in him. He doesn't make demands of Jacob. He doesn't even threaten to kill Jacob. He says, I've had, I have enough. I'm satisfied. I'm content all is forgotten, in effect. He doesn't say that, but that's, that's what we're seeing here. He doesn't say to Jacob, I know what you did to me, and now it's time to pay. He instead embraces his brother, and he resists the gifts that Jacob wants to give him in verse 9, though finally being prevailed upon, he takes them. Well, I want us to note just for a moment that God can change you. He can change hearts that are very, very committed to a certain path. He can change you in, in, in when you are in a place and you think, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. If you, think, if, you, if you recognize this, Esau and Jacob, the hostility, the enmity between them is often compared to the enmity between Cain and Abel. And what did Cain do? He killed his brother. Not until the Lord, not until after the Lord had come to him and said, sin desires to have you, but you must master it. What did Cain do? Children, he didn't, did he? He killed his brother. Well, that's the hostility that's between Esau and Jacob as, after Jacob left some 20 years ago. It was a serious breach in this relationship, but God changed them. They weep at the reunion. One can only imagine that Jacob's weeping out of relief that Esau is not going to slit his throat. He's, he's thankful that he can be restored to his brother. Esau, it's not quite as clear why he's weeping, but it seems to be that he's, he's happy to be reunited with his brother. He appears to, to want to go along with him, to walk along with him. And later on in the passage there, what do we, in our passage this morning, what do we read? Come along with me. Walk with me. He's happy. He's thankful for the reunion. 
That was a great change. Remember what had happened before. Jacob had gotten his name. How? How did Jacob get his name? Do you remember, children? It was as he was grasping the heel of his brother. They were twins. And as Esau came out, Jacob was grasping the heel of his brother. So his name was called Jacob. We'll read in chapter 25, verse 26. The struggle in the womb pointed to the struggle that would continue outside the womb. It was as though Jacob was struggling to catch up or to overtake Esau. You ever had that sibling rivalry? Probably not. You're all so sanctified. You never fight with your brothers or sisters about who's going to be first and who's going to get in front. I'm sure that, that you can't relate to that. But if just by chance you can, that's what's going on here. There's this rivalry going on. And that's hard to let go of. He was always first. He was the favorite. She was always first. She always got everything. And there's this, there's this history here. How are they going to get through it? Only by God's, only by God's working. Jacob had schemed for years to get what rightfully belonged to his brother. We see that in earlier chapters. I'm not going to review that. Now he's bowing before his brother, and Esau receives him, refusing to hold the past against him. There was peace and reconciliation as far as we can tell, but there was need for more change. So there's God changes lives, but there's need for more change. And we see, secondly, our lifelong need for God to work change. In us, there's a mixture of faith and fear that, that are continually wrestling within Jacob. Again, something we can relate to this idea of faith, but also fear, of, of trust, but also of, of, of uncertainty and anxiety. We know we're supposed to bring that to the Lord, right? Cast all your cares before the Lord, and He will care for you, 1 Peter 5. We're supposed to bring it to Him, and yet we, we'd rather try to control things ourselves. Jacob exhibits courage as he goes before his family to meet Esau, but he still doubts God's promise to deliver. And he says, yeah, but I got this plan over here, plan, plan B, just in case God isn't going to follow through or he doesn't keep his word. I don't know if your life looks like that. I know mine does, where God promises to be with us, to be with me, and yet I struggle with his timing or I struggle with his way. It's a lack of desire to follow him. I'd rather go my way and my time when I don't wait upon the Lord for his answer in his time, or I try to turn a situation to my own way. Something's being exposed, but it's not God's unfaithfulness. It's my sinful desire. It's my desire to control my own life. That's what's on display, my desire for control. And we think that that's what it looks like to be mature, to be in control of everything, to know just exactly every detail, and yet it doesn't take us very long when we look into our lives and the complexities as we look back and as we, we, we wonder what the future might look like to see that we're not in control of the details. Children, the Bible has 1,189 chapters that record God's faithfulness and his love. The Bible has 31,102 verses which speak of God's wise way. 
We don't need more proof of whether he will keep his word or whether or not he loves us. Now, if you remember those numbers afterwards, I have something for you. Just want to see if you're listening. But God will keep his word. The reason we make our own plans is because we don't like always like his way. Now, we have to plan accordingly. We have to learn of his words. We might know the path that we are to walk in, even with all of the, uh, the, the eventualities that come. His word is our lamp and our light, our guide. We're called to make plans, but it is the one, it is the Lord who determines the outcome, and we must trust in him. We don't like to wait. We like to call the shots, as it were. We want control. Alan and Amanda, you have that challenge with Lydia and with Isaac to teach them that God's timing isn't always theirs, their own, or their, their plans are not always the way God would have them to go. There'll be times when you, you tell your children, God will not answer at that time where they're looking for that, or things will not go the way that they want them to go. That's not a point in which to doubt, but rather to persevere in faith and to look all the more upward to the Lord. You must teach them. Teach your children that your heavenly Father does that with you. He says, trust me. And then he tests you to see if you will. Trusting timing and trusting his way. As believers, we're given a new name, children of God, those loved of the Lord, those who are a part of God's family. We're called to trust him. God gives us faith as gift. He works in us what we need to live without fear. If we're his child, we don't need to fear. We can be confident that he will work all things out for our good. For his glory. We're secure. Fear enters the heart that does not want God in control. I like what James Boyce says in his commentary, and this is where the title of the sermon comes from, Jacob, Still Jacob, a work in progress. He says this, he, he makes this observation, Jacob received a new name, but from this point on in Genesis, Jacob is called Jacob twice as often as he is called by his new name, Israel. Now, I didn't go and count it, but you can. But that's an interesting observation. He says, he says this, compare this. Abraham, when his name was changed from Abram to Abraham, the name Abraham is used consistently thereafter. With Jacob, in Genesis 33 to 50, we find Jacob 45 times in Israel, his new name only 23 times. And then he makes this comment, apparently there was still a lot of the old man in the new patriarch. Friends, there's still a lot of the old self in us and a real need for God to continue to work the new life in us. We need him and we must trust him to shape and to mold us in his way and the paths that he has for us. Sanctification is a lifelong process in which God turns us to trust in him more and more. Jacob's struggling with this process. Where do we see that? I want us to think about that. I have three observations this morning of where Jacob 
reveals that he's still struggling and needs God's work in his life for the rest of his life. First, there's a fear of man. It's a fear of man. Do you ever have that? Do you have that where you're concerned about how others are going to perceive you, how they're going to relate to you, how you might find a relationship with others? The Bible says we are to fear God above men. But Jacob has this imbalanced fear of man. It's illustrated in the way he approaches Esau. He says that he trusted in the Lord, and yet his plan was to gain acceptance with Esau by overwhelming him with his own resources, by giving, by, by, by coming to meet Esau where, where he was. His actions, while generous, seemed to point more toward a concern that Esau controlled his life or his future than that God did. Did you notice how many times he addresses Esau as my Lord? Getting a lot into numbers this morning. He addresses him five times as my Lord, my Lord, my Lord, my Lord. Talking about this as though Esau was the one that he had to receive his future from. It's also known that when someone acts this way toward another, as they bow down his, his posture seven times bowing before his brother, that this was a, this was a picture of, of, of uh, subjection just to one seen as a superior. So it's as though Jacob is doing what? Entering a covenant with, this, with, this, with his brother and saying, well, now this is my, this is my plan. If Esau were ever to come back and to harm me, I could say, oh no, I gave you all these animals. I gave you all these resources. We're in covenant. Almost as if he's saying, we made a deal. And what that exposes is that his concern is as much for Esau, if not more, than is his concern or his trust in the Lord. Secondly, perhaps not as clear, but I think it's here, he has trouble with lying still. How do we see that here in this text? He still can't speak straight. Well, first off, let's see. Well, let's, let's ask ourselves, why is this important? Because God says we must live by the truth. We're not to be known to be deceivers, to be those who don't keep our word, but to be those who speak truth. Jacob, when asked by his brother to come back with him, says, no, no, I, 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 I'm not going to come back now. I'll come back later, though. I'll catch up. We'll, we'll, we'll rendezvous in Seir uh, at a later date. I have all these flocks and these children that I have to move. He says he's going to do this. Does he do that? Is that where he ends up? Did he not have GPS and didn't know how to find Seir, perhaps lost his way and What happens? As soon as Esau disappears, Jacob turns the opposite direction, direction, if we know our geography, going back over the river Jabbok, which he came across, and settling in Succoth. He appears to have no intention of going to Esau, contrary to his word in verse 14, where he says, I'll come to my Lord later. As soon as Esau is out of sight, he goes back to his own plans and says, well, 
Where are we going to go? He goes back to Succoth. I want to make an application about that for us here this morning as the people of God. How, does, how do the people in the world see that when we don't keep our word? What does that say about us? What does it say about our God? When we claim to follow God who is truth and then we don't speak straightforward, we don't speak truth. What do they think about the God whom we represent? Well, Esau likely wondered if his brother had changed at this point, and I think it would be fair to say he, he should. Well, I'm, asking, I'm asking Jacob to come back with me. I've, I've forgiven him. I've been generous to him. I've shown him kindness. I, I haven't even brought up the past, and, and I just, just would like to be reconciled. And, and now Jacob says, yeah, yeah, we're going to do that, and then he doesn't. I want to submit to you that this is what accounts for the later hostilities between Israel, Jacob's descendants, and Edom, Esau's descendants. This is where it begins. There's this this question in the back of our mind. Are we really, can we really trust each other? Esau saying to Jacob, can I really trust him? And, and then it gets built up, and the story is told over and over again, and pretty soon it's like, well, you know what Jacob did when, when, he, when, he, when he walked away from Esau? He was, he was, you know, sticking his tongue out at him or some such thing. And, and, and then there's this, this increased hostility. And it builds. Well, perhaps it was not, perhaps it was wise that he didn't camp next to Esau, but he should have been straightforward and said, no, I'm going, I'm going to the place that God promised me. And that's the third one, the third issue we want to look at. It's under the, and it comes under the third point, pressing on in faith. Jacob should have pressed on and not stopped short of the promise God had given to him. Instead of going into the land, he backs up and goes back away from the land to Succoth. I think that's why that name is mentioned there. The Biblical writer is saying, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let's evaluate what Jacob is doing here. God is saying, where did Jacob end up? It's not in the place that I called him to go. And where was that? Where had God met Jacob? Children, do you remember? From a number of weeks ago now. Where did he first meet Jacob? In Bethel, the house of God, remember? Jacob leaves And he tells him there in chapter 28, verse 13 and 15, that he is going to bring him back to that place. He says, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land in which you lie. I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth and so on. And he says in verse 15, behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, to this place. I will not leave you until I have done what I've promised to you. When Jacob tells his wives, when he's leaving Uncle Laban, you remember chapter 31, what does he say to his wives? The Lord, or the God, the God of Bethel is the one who is calling me to, to leave. It's time to go home. And his wife said, we will go. He was called to go there, to return there. Make a application for you, Al and Amanda, again this morning as Your children grow up. Where are they to go? Where are they to dwell? In the presence of the Lord. And you are to show them what that looks like. How 
it looks to trust the Lord. You brought your son to receive the covenant sign and seal and a vow to teach him where he is to dwell, to dwell in the house of the Lord, to be before the Lord. We can think back to earlier, or rather we can look ahead to other commitment there in the Old Testament. I say look back because we're looking to the Old Testament, but really it's years ahead from our story here. What does Joshua say when the people don't want to enter the land, when they want to stop short, come up short because there's great enemies, because there's great adversity in the land? Well, they, we don't want to go there. And, jo- and Joshua says, who are you going to serve? The gods of the land, the gods that your, your, your ancestors served beyond the river? Or the one true God? And Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's our commitment to do so where God has placed us. That's our commitment before God and his people, not to stop short of his commands for us, to live in his presence, not to say, well, I like ten commandments, but I don't like, or I like nine commandments, but I don't like all ten, or I, I like the f- four of them, or I like six of them, but I, I could do without the others. No, all of them. All the commands. Jesus says, you are to go out, he says to his disciples, to teach them all that I have commanded. We are to live in light of these commands. Again, James Boyce in his commentary says this, Jacob was trying to be both Jacob and Israel at the same time, and ultimately that is an impossible thing to do. For either the new nature within will draw us away from lesser allegiances and make us God's man, God's woman, or else the lesser allegiances will draw us from God and reveal that we were not true children of God after all. Jacob needed to press on in the faith, as do we. No matter what happens around us, no matter what situation we face, whatever challenges in front of us, Jacob showed signs that he wanted to offer him his life and his family to the Lord. But it was a struggle. And there was more work to be done in him. We must recognize that every day as a commitment once again to live for the Lord. Yes, to look back to our baptism. Remember that we have been washed, that we have been uh, uh, made pure before the Lord in Christ. We walk by faith. Now living in that New life, Paul says, Romans 6. We never graduate from the school of being a disciple, though we are a child of God. The passage closes with a promising sign. I wanted to maybe save that for the next sermon, but, but it, does, uh, it does remind us that Jacob is seeking to do what's right. He erects an altar there, verse 20, and calls it El Elohi Israel. God, the God of Israel. My, my God, he says, He's stating where he wants to be. He's stating his commitment. He's making covenant. He's making a, taking a vow, recognizing that he needs the Lord to fulfill that vow. He knew where blessing and help came from, and we need to recognize that too. And that's why this worship that we have each week, morning and evening, is covenant renewal ceremony, reminding us that God is in covenant with us. And he now calls us to go and live in light of that relationship. We press on in faith. 
keeping our vows before God and his people, not stopping short of where he wants us to be. God has saved us for this. Because we could not enter into his presence on our own, he sent his only son to die on the cross, to endure the judgment that we deserve for our sins. And he said, this is my salvation for you. This is my cleansing for you. He is the righteous one through whom you may come to me. His righteousness is credited to us as we believe. That is why we hold on. That is what we hold on to by faith when we struggle with circumstances. God has not forgotten us. He will never forsake us. He's working in us to remind us that all blessing comes from him. And we're to press on in the knowledge of his love for us in Christ. To remind ourselves of that new name that we have, children of God. May God help us to do that. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for showing yourself again in this account, in this passage. We see words spoken and then actions taken that don't really, aren't, aren't jiving with those words, aren't in, in, in step with those words, and we... We cringe and we say, that, that's me. That's how I am. I say, yes, Lord, you are my Lord. And then, and then we, we take a step back or we make our own plans or we, we stop short of, of what you would do in us because we really don't want to let go of control. Lord, help us to learn that in you there is life. Even as your son came and humbled himself, unto death on a cross, doing your will, though it cost him his life, and he was received into glory. Father, we thank you for that great gift, for we know that apart from him, we would have no hope of eternal life. But in him, we have confidence that we have an anchor for the soul behind the curtain, in that most holy place, in heaven itself. And we are seated in the heavenlies with him by faith. And we await the day when he comes. And your kingdom is realized in fullness upon the earth. Give us joy in that thought. Give us motivation. Give us zeal that others might hear and see that from our lips and in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.